are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You want to talk about it? This whole idea of becoming holy? So, although it may not be a word that you would use to describe yourself to somebody else, um, do you see yourself moving in that direction? And do you believe that that is the life that God calls you to live, a life of holiness? Hope you had a good week. Probably the highlight of my week this past week was I attended a funeral. And I don't do that every week of my life, but I do it a lot of weeks of my life. And I've decided that funerals are a means of grace. God tends to speak to me at funerals. So I'm not just sitting there thinking to myself, I wonder what Annette and the girls are going to say at my funeral about me. I'm focused more on how I'm living my life now because their opinions are being formed now. Nor am I just sitting there wondering what it's going to be like when I stand before God one day when I die. I'm thinking more about, is God pleased with the way that I'm living my life now? And because I believe that as a Christian, I should be making a difference in this world. The world should be a better place because I'm in it. And I keep asking myself, am I making a difference in this world? Is the world a better place because I'm in it? So I don't know where you are in this journey. But I know where I've been living lately. And I believe that God has a plan to deal with that conversation that I just had with you. And His plan for us is that we would be holy. Wow. Can you even relate to the word You know, four times in the Old Testament, God says these words, Be holy to His people, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. When we get to the New Testament, we find the words repeated again. Be holy, because the Lord your God is holy. But something fascinating happens in the New Testament. Because we we meet Jesus. And in Jesus, we get this clearer picture of what God is like and what holiness looks like in the flesh holy with skin on it and so all of a sudden our eyes are kind of open to oh so that's what it means to be holy it's to be like Jesus and so that's why we make it our statement of mission and desire we want to become more like Jesus and so I got a feeling that most of us most of us have caught glimpses of a deeper life. And we have a desire and a hunger and a longing for more. And we ask ourselves, is it really possible? Could could I have a pure heart? Could I become actually day by day more and more like Jesus? Is it really possible for me to love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength? And is it possible to love my neighbor like I love me? And if it is a possibility, then why in the world would any of us settle for anything less? 113 years ago. It's a long time. A group of people gathered together and decided they would take on the name Nazarene. But we gathered together around an idea. 
And we're still gathered around the same idea. And so today's family worship Sunday. I love the kids being in the room. I love teenagers sitting over on my left. I love all of you being here. And you might be saying, so what, what is the idea that the Nazarenes are all gathered around? And every group gathers around some idea. And for us, it's this idea that God is holy and he calls us to be holy. So you might say, well, where did that come from? What, what, what influenced all of that? So let me show you a picture, okay? This is a guy whose name is John Wesley. As you can see, he lived in the 1700s. John Wesley was an evangelist and he was a theologian, a practical theologian, meaning he never sat down and wrote theology. We just gained theology from his sermons, his letters, etc. John Wesley was responsible for the Wesleyan revival in England in the 1700s and the forming of Methodism. And there are many groups like us who kind of branched off of the Methodist movement. John Wesley was preparing to become ordained. And when he was preparing to become ordained, he read three books, three authors, I should say, that influenced him heavily. In fact, they were significant authors to his theological development. One was Thomas Akempis. Most of his writing occurred, of course, in the 1400s. He wrote one book called The Imitation of Christ. I'm just curious, how many of you would say, at some point in my life, I've read some parts at least of Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ. Would you raise your hand really high and let me just kind of get a feel for that. Many of you have. He also read a guy named Jeremy Taylor. The Rules and Exercise for Holy Living and Dying, he wrote in the 1600s. And then in the 1700s, a contemporary of Wesley was William Law. He wrote Christian Perfection. You say, really, is it important for me to know those guys or those names? I, I think maybe you might want to pick up one of those books along the way. But after reading these men, Wesley formed three ideas relating to holiness and so over the next three weeks, we're going to spend a little time with these ideas. The first is a purity of intentions. What are your intentions? Before I got out of bed this morning, my course was already set. I'd already decided how I was going to live this day. In fact, the next day and the next and the next month and the next few years. I'm going to honor God with my life. When the enemy comes at me with temptation, I'm going to turn her away and go the other direction. In my conversations with other people, I want to be loving and kind and grace-filled. That's the intent of my heart. And so purity of intentions is one of the ideas. Wesley said, when I think about what it means to be holy, I think about a purity of intention. Also, he said, I think about an imitation of Christ. To try to be like Jesus. And then to love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all my strength. In fact, Wesley said, it's love filling the whole capacity of the soul to the point that there is no room left for sin inside of me. Wow. And to love my neighbor like I love me. And that's a tall command because I am nuts about me. I remember one day my friend being at my house and he had laid a book on my kitchen table and I said to him, is that a good book? 
And he said, I don't know. I just bought it. I haven't read it. And then his phone rang, and he picked it up, and he began to talk on the phone, and I began to flip through the book. And I read some words that are burned into my mind. I'll never lose these words. He was a pastor, and he said, I think we've given people just enough Jesus to be bored, but not enough to fill the holy surge of adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. I think we've given people just enough Jesus to be a little bored, but not enough to fill that holy surge of adrenaline that courses through your veins when you make up your mind that you're going to follow Jesus no matter what. I think that's purity of intention. Wesley describes it with these words, okay? He says it's dedicating all the life to God. It's a life of full surrender. It is the giving God all our heart. It is one desire and design ruling all our tempers. It is the devoting, not a part, but all our soul, body, and substance to God. It's a life of complete surrender. It's saying, before I got out of bed this morning, my day was set. And my heart already had full intentions of how I was going to live this day. If the enemy came my way and tempted me, I was going to turn and go the other way. I have no interest in what he's selling. In my conversations with people, it is going to be love and compassion and gentleness and kindness. And whatever God asks of me, I am going to do. It is a pure heart surrendered to God. So in the book of Colossians, Paul writes to the people in Colossae about pure intentions. You might remember that Paul had never visited the church. He didn't know the people. He didn't plant the church. His fellow worker Epaphras had planted the church, stayed in touch, kept Paul aware of what was going on. And so Paul, having never seen them, only hearing about them, writes them a letter. They're doing okay. They're like all Christians of their day. They're tempted to turn away because the persecution is being turned up. And in chapter 3, he writes about this resurrected life, this life that you've been raised to live, okay? And so here's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3. Since then, you. What he says to them applies to every born-again Christian. It applies to you if you are a follower of Jesus. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You notice that's in the past tense. That's something that has already happened. You have been raised with Christ. You've been raised to this new life. Set your hearts. Now, this is about intent, right? My heart has been set. (laughs) Before I got out of bed, my course had already been defined. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, so not only your hearts, but your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because you died. You remember when you were born again? You you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
And when Christ, who is your life, love those words, appears or he is revealed, when the kingdom finally fully comes, then you will also be revealed or appear with him in his glory. So this is God's word for us today. We'll dive in. There's a guy that I sometimes talk to you about who is one of my favorite writers. His name is James Bryan Smith. And James Bryan Smith talks about when he came to know Jesus. He says, when I came to know Jesus, something just kind of happened in me. I wanted to read the Bible, which I'd never wanted to do before. And beyond that, the Bible tended to make sense to me, which it had never made sense to me before. I also had a desire to go to church, which I'd never wanted to go to church before. And I had a desire to pray, which I'd never had a desire to pray before. It was awesome. I was just living this life in Christ. There were some people who had been Christians much longer than me who in my journey began to share with me that there's some things, James, that you shouldn't do, you don't want to do. And, and, and there seemed to be this list that formed in my mind of things that I shouldn't do. But then these Christians who were way more seasoned than me would also share with me, James, there's some things that you should be doing. And so there was like another list that I had. So I had the don't do list and I had the do list. And to me it seemed to make sense. I kind of liked having lists. It seemed to make it clear. But as I went along, my struggle was I wasn't very good at keeping the list. There are all of these things that I should be doing and I found myself not doing them. Or maybe not doing them enough. And then the list of things that I should have been doing, I found myself sometimes doing them and feeling terribly defeated. And I became kind of miserable. And this new life that I've been raised to in Jesus wasn't so great anymore. I felt like I was a disappointment to God and I was a disappointment to myself. And I decided that I could never make myself a Christian by keeping the rules. That's when something powerful happened in me, James Bryan Smith said. I realized who I was, my identity. Those words from Colossians 3 changed my perspective. I began to realize that I have been raised with Christ. It's not something that's going to happen one day. It's past tense. It has happened to me. I have been raised to this new life in Jesus. And I have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this life that God has called me to live. He said, before I think I saw myself as a sinner who was trying to not sin. And I wasn't doing very good with it. And now I saw myself as a Christian who had been raised to this new life in Jesus. And perspective changed everything for me. See, Paul uses the words, Christ who is your life. Now, in the Greek language which the New Testament was primarily written in, there are two words for life. One is bios, which means biological life. The other is zoe, which means like spiritual life or life in God or vitality. Would you like to see a picture of zoe? Okay, here's a picture of zoe right here. Don't you love it? Pastor K 
Casey and Pastor Kate Myers have a little girl, and they named her Zoe. Uh, after this Greek word that just means full of life, or God's life, or abundant life, or vitality. And I don't know of any better picture in the world to give you to show you Zoe than to show you that picture right there. Isn't it awesome? I love it. So this is the life that you now have been given. Why, why would you settle for something less? Why would you be okay with a substitute? Why would you want something that doesn't even begin to give you that kind of life? And why in the world does Paul make list? Because in the next few verses, it's what he does. Let me tell you why. Because some intentions have never been fully resolved. And I think it's at this point in the sermon that somebody's looking at me going, oh, okay, I got you. I get the whole thing of purity of intention. Before I got out of bed this morning, my course had been set. I'd already decided this is how I'm going to live my life. My heart is pure. It is turned to God. If the enemy comes my way, I want nothing to do with what he's selling. But somebody in the room is saying, I get this. I, I understand unresolved intentions. And you might say it like this. I'm keeping my options open. If the devil tempts me today, which temptation are we talking about? That one's a no. But my intentions are not resolved on this one. We'll have to see how I handle it. I'm keeping my options open. Pastor Rick, some of my intentions have not been fully resolved. I haven't yet decided where I'm going with this. So here's what Paul does in the passage. If we were to keep reading where we were a moment ago, here's what he says. Put to death those things that belong to your earthly nature. Okay? As far as your intention is concerned, you just say, this is no longer an option. Sexual immorality is no longer an option in my life. That is not a possibility for me. I have intentions that are pure. And my heart and my mind is set on doing what honors God today. And that is not God honoring. Impurity is not God honoring. Lust is not evil desire. Greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Lying is no longer an option for me. I have already set the course for my day. I decided before I got out of bed what my day would look like, and it looks nothing like this. These are no longer options in my life. And then he gives us another list. If you don't have these things in your life, then put these things on. Compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. This is what your life looks like in Christ. And for once and for all, make up your mind. Know your heart and know your intentions. So, sometimes I talk a little bit about golf. 
because I love golf, and I love to watch golf, and I love to play golf, and my friend H.G. got some tickets to this Masters tournament that's played down in Augusta every year, and he invited me to go with him, for which I will forever be indebted to him for that. And we're walking along one day, four of us from Oklahoma, four of us from our church here, and, and there was a golfer by himself in a practice round with his caddy walking down the fairway, and we're just kind of over here taking a breath, to be honest with you, and he says to us, hey guys, how you doing? And I thought that was odd that a pro golfer would just say, hey, how you doing? And, and we said, oh, we're good, how are you? And he goes, good, where are you from? Oh, Oklahoma, oh, great, you know, and we talk a little bit. And we walk along with him for a few holes, and he's extremely kind and gracious and friendly. His name is Kevin Stroman, and I'd heard his name a few times. He's been on the tour for 20 years. I think he's won a couple of three times, never a major. And, uh, and I got home, and I thought, man, that was one of the nicest guys. And I just typed his name, Kevin Stroman, in uh, to Google, and I typed the word Christian, and the Internet just blew up. He's a very strong, committed Christian man. I thought he would have to be, to be that kind, you know. So I've been very interested in him since then. He was contending last week in the PGA, which is a major golf tournament. There are four. And so he's in like third or fourth place going in the final day, the, the, the tournament that Phil Mickelson won. And that night they got microphones in his face asking him all about, what about tomorrow? And they're asking him all kinds of stuff. And he, he really... He really wasn't interested in their questions. And finally, he just goes, hey, here's the bottom line. When I go to play tomorrow, I'm going to do the same thing I do in every round of golf. I'm going to play to the best of my ability. And whether I shoot a 65 or an 85, when I finish playing, my family is going to be there and they're going to hug me. And they're going to love me, and that's all that matters. He's really not a very good interview, I'll be honest with you. Who wants to hear that? I'm going to do what I do every day I play golf. The course has already been set. I'm going to play to the best of my ability. And if I shoot a 65 or if I shoot an 85, when I get done, my wife and my kids, they're going to give me a big hug, and they're going to love me, and that's all that matters. I think that's what Paul is saying to these people. Set your course now. Decide today. Not in the heat of the moment when the enemy is all over you or when life falls apart or when things come undone. But decide right now. And the language he uses is this. Set your hearts and your minds on things above, not earthly things. That one list, it's not an option. Decide today. That is not optional. The other list, that's the course. And tomorrow, I'm going to go out and I'm going to play my best. And that's what matters. So, so we're talking about what's in the heart here, right? We're talking about intent. What do you really want? Who are you really deep inside of yourself? I began to dig around for some verses, and I found some that I love. But 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, People look at the outward appearance. How true. You've been admiring me all morning. I know. But the Lord, He looks at the... Yeah. So He understands what your intentions are. 
Look at this verse from Chronicles, First Chronicles. The Lord searches every heart, and He understands every desire. Now we're talking about intention, aren't we? And every thought. See, my heart is the seat of my intentions. And Paul, along with John Wesley, believes that your heart can be pure. Now, what does that look like in everyday life? I'm going to end with a little story. Uh, a story that I've shared maybe five, six years ago, and many of you talked to me about it, but I was in college at Trevecca Nazarene University. I'll let the applause die down, and then I'll go on with my message. And I was in a theology class, and H. Ray Dunning is the professor one point he rewrote the systematic theology for the Church of the Nazarene, a, a great theologian. And there was a student in class who raises his hand and says, Dr. Dunning, uh, I have a question. And he says, go ahead. And he says, um, is it possible to, uh, to live without sinning in this life? Is that possibility? Just to never sin again. Just I'm, I'm so close to God. I've, I've, I've mastered this holiness stuff and I'm just... I'm done with sin. It'll never happen again for me. And so Dr. Dunning, I'll, I'll use you, Lane, if you don't mind. He just stared at him. And he didn't say anything. And it felt like he stared at him for like a minute. It was, it was just long. And I'm thinking, I'm so glad I didn't ask that question. You know. And finally, he just stone-faced says to the guy, Yes. And then he just keeps staring at him. And now I'm thinking, I'm really glad I didn't ask the question. But I'm also thinking, he just said yes. He just said you can get to a point in this life that you, you don't sin again. What? And after this long, deliberate stare, a grin breaks across Dr. Dunning's face, and he says, as far as the intention of the heart is concerned, but unfortunately... As long as you are in the flesh, you are subject to sin. Do, do you understand a little more clearly now purity of intention? I'm human. My wife can tell you I'm human. I fall short. My wife can tell you I fall short. That's not what Wesley's talking about. He never preached a sinless perfection. But he did talk about a purity of intention. Before I got out of bed, the course for the day was set. And I determined in my heart that I would honor God all day long. And that I would live my life surrendered to Him. And when the enemy came my way, I would say, I'm not interested in what you're selling, and I would turn away and walk away. Because the intention of my heart is pure, and it's to honor and to serve God. I can't wait until next week where I can talk to you about the imitation of Christ and the next week loving God and neighbor. But if you want to know what it is when we talk about to be holy, these are the ideas behind it. Anybody else like me this morning saying, oh, I need grace, right? 
I need help. I need God. You know. And so John Wesley also said, God has provided a way for us to receive his grace. Why would you not receive the elements every time Wesley said you had the opportunity? And so this morning we're going to come forward and we're going to receive God's grace. Okay? So let me pray for you. And as I pray, those of you who are going to serve us, you can come forward now. So Father... I come before you asking in Jesus' name for grace. I feel like every one of us in the room want to pray a prayer together that says, God, give me a pure heart. Make my intentions pure, I pray. But we know that we can't achieve this in our own strength. It's only by your grace. And so we ask for grace in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. You want to stand with me? And um, in a moment, you're going to be free to come down. And you'll take a stack of cups there too. And then you can take them back to your seat. And then once you're back to your seat, would you wait before you eat and drink until everybody has been served? You don't have to be a member of this church to share in communion with us. All I ask is that if you are sincerely seeking God and His will for your life, please come and receive His grace. When you're comfortable in coming, just come down and receive the communion elements and go back to your seat. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.